excited to be here with y'all today, and I want to pray before we get in. Uh, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, Lord, and we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for an opportunity to look into your word. Uh, Father, we pray that you'd speak to us clearly from your word, God. We don't want to waste our time uh, just with man's opinions, Father. We don't want to waste our time with human wisdom. Father, we want to hear from you, so we ask you to speak to us, God. Uh, and we pray your spirit would work your word into our hearts. Uh, help us to think clearly about what it means to follow you and to help others do the same. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So uh, I, I am going to narrow uh, the topic a little bit from discipleship and art. And I'm going to zoom into a particular kind of art. Uh, I'm going to be thinking about music, um, which shouldn't really be a surprise. Um, one of the things, uh, as we think about discipling, we, we normally wouldn't think of music having much of a role in discipleship. Uh, one of the things that I want to think about and show you, we'll look at a few texts, we'll talk about a few things. Um, one of the things I want to talk about is the role that it does play. And one of the reasons I think we don't really think of music uh, as having much of a role in discipleship and our following Jesus or helping other follow Jesus, because we sometimes have a really narrow definition of discipleship or discipling. You know, that may mean that we're very programmatic with it or we think it only happens in a particular one-on-one -on -one setting or different kind of things like that. But if we think of discipling and discipleship as following Jesus and helping others to follow Jesus, then there is no way that we could deny that God has given us music in part to help us do that. So that's what I'm going to spend some time talking about. And I'll just tell you the main point that I'm going to try to make right now is that if we want to be faithful followers of Jesus and we want to point other people to Jesus, music must be a part of our strategy. And music has a unique place and a unique role. To ignore music for us is going to be to accept unfaithfulness. And I know that sounds like I went too far, uh, but I'm going to try to show you uh, why I think the scripture teaches that. Uh, and and I'll, I'll start just by telling you uh, something about uh, the uniqueness of music and, and one of the things that kind of showed that to me. Uh, so I do have two kids. I have a son named Q and I have a, a daughter named Sailor. And uh, when my son was about two years old, a few years ago, we watched Lion King uh, for the first time. And at that time, I... You know, Lion King was a movie I loved when I was a kid, and then my son loved animals. I was like, this is going to be amazing. So we sat and we watched Lion King. Hadn't seen it in a long time. Uh, and it was good. I mean, he was pointing out all the animals. You know, it was like, Daddy was sad as a lion. Daddy was sad. I don't know what that is. I don't know what Timon and Pumbaa. But <laughs> that's beside the point. We were enjoying it together. And uh, as we watch it, um, I'm starting to realize it's a lot darker than I remembered it. This is a dark movie. It's a lot of attempted murder in this movie. Um, there's a point where Scar, Simba runs off, and they, it's not subtle. He's like, find him and kill him. And they zoom in on his face. It's very disturbing. Um, and so we're watching it. I'm looking at him every now and then to make sure he's not traumatized. Uh, and then the scene comes when Mufasa dies. If you haven't seen Lion King, that's your fault. It came out a long time ago, so let me not remember. But um, the scene where Mufasa dies, and he falls, and he gets run over by all these other animals, and I'm thinking, my two-year-old son is never going to ever want to watch a movie with me again, so I'm kind of looking over, and he says, Daddy, Lion King is sleeping. I was like, yep, sleeping forever. Uh, that was his 
first brush with death. But anyway, moving beyond that, one of the things that happened after we watched the movie is uh, he, he was obsessed with the movie for a while. And he would want to have conversations about it and stuff that was happening in different parts of the movies. And we'd talk about it. But when we talked about it, those conversations only went so far. But something special and very different happened when we played the soundtrack. When we played the soundtrack to Lion King, it wasn't like he just thought about Lion King for a moment. It was like he was experiencing the whole movie all over again. So from the moment you hit play on it, in the very first, ah, it's a when you the first part that it does that, he like goes into lion pose and there's, there's different uh, parts on the soundtrack that's just the score and he'll tell me what scene it is and what was happening in that particular scene. There was something very unique about it and it blew me away. It made me continue to ask, well, what is this strange, beautiful sound that seems to capture my son's heart so much? Did it already capture him? And the truth is, that's not unique to my son. Music. Uh, gives us this kind of unique awe and wonder and it captures uh, our hearts in a unique way. Music is an incredible gift from God and he's given it to us for our enjoyment and for his worship and it captures all of us in different ways. When you start to try to define music, it gets really strange and abstract, like sound and rhythm and tones and time. It's hard to define, but, but what we do know is that it connects with us in a way that nothing else can. I do want to tell you a little bit about my journey with music to give you a little backdrop about how it's captured me. I fell in love with music from a really young age. My dad uh, wasn't a musician but loved music and would always play music around the house and so I fell in love with music and I was listening to it at all times of the day. I was obsessed with my favorite artists. I would rip uh, pictures out of Source magazine, all rappers, Tupac and everybody on my wall and my dad hated it because he had thug life tatted on his stomach. That's another uh, discussion for another time. But I was listening to music all the time in the morning when I'm brushing my teeth. It was like my movie, uh, my life was a movie and this was a, a soundtrack to my movie because it told me how to feel about stuff. It, it uh, expressed the ways that I was thinking about things. I, I got core values and worldviews from music. Music played a big role in my life. Uh, that's what made me eventually want to write music and then I trust in Jesus and I want to talk about the things that Jesus has taught me. Uh, but all of us have some kind of journey with music I and mean, you may not be like mine, you may not be a musician, but music is a big part of all of our lives. Um, I want to ask you, you know, just to think about the role that music has played in your own life. How about this, what was your favorite childhood song? Uh, I had a friend of mine who's in his 50s who, who told me he was talking to his eight-year-old daughter and she asked him, you know, what were some of his favorite songs growing up? And there was a song that he hadn't sang since he was a kid, but he remembered word for word. Now that's not the kind of recall we could have from just a mere conversation. There's something unique about music. It's a big part of all of our lives. Plays in the background of movies, in the background of internet meme videos, plays in stores when we go in there. I mean, everywhere we go, we hear music. There are these massive gatherings where thousands of people show up called concerts, where they come there just to hear music. Music is everywhere, even at, at conferences. Uh, most of the time when Christians come together for conferences, those start with songs. Our culture, our world is obsessed with music, and I think it's a good thing because it's a gift from God. This is not a mistake or some kind of random human innovation that people would really gravitate towards music or that Christians would use it in the worship of God. God gave us music in part so we could honor him and so we could love him. We're commanded to sing in Scripture even. 
Psalm still is sing to the Lord a new song. And we have a, a whole song book in the middle of your Bible called Psalms. Another book called the Song of Solomon. You have songs in uh, five books of Moses. I mean, you have songs all over uh, the scriptures. And, and not only that, uh, most of the uh, time that we see uh, music show up in the New Testament, uh, and all throughout the Old Testament, we're commanded to sing, and often we think God only commands us to pray and evangelize, but there are commands for us to sing all throughout scriptures. And these verses are not just for worship leaders, or musicians, or, or rappers, they're for all of us, and if we want to be faithful to Jesus, we cannot overlook the role that he's given music for and the way that he's called us to use it. It's important for all of us. Here's another reason it's important, because we live in a world that is uh, disillusioned and disinterested and unimpressed by the God who created them. And so we, as the people who do know God, even our hearts are divided sometimes. Well, there are things that draw our awe and draw our attention more than God himself. And so as those who want to appreciate and love and enjoy God the way we were made to, and as those who want to help other people appreciate, enjoy, and love God the way they were made to, we we want to use every tool in the toolbox that God has given us. And music is a very unique one that captures us in a way that nothing else can. We want to use everything at our disposal. Quick question for you. What does it tell you about God that art would be so close to his heart and important to following him? I think one of the things it tells us about God is he's not the boring, stuffy chemistry professor that we made him out to be, right? If you're a chemistry professor, I apologize. Uh, but, like, God likes beauty, and he made art, and he made beauty, and gave us this music to honor him. So, um, again, you cannot be faithful to God without music being part of your life. So you should use it well in your following of Jesus and helping others too. So I want to talk about a few ways that we can use music. This is not every way you could ever use music. These are what I think are some of the main things Scripture talks about and how we use music. Uh, to follow Jesus, to follow him ourselves, and help others do the same. So we'll, we'll go through those. And the first one, uh, first way we can use music is using music to celebrate God and his works. Use music to celebrate God and his works. Um, this is... I think the, the main way we see music used in the scripture, that's why I'm starting with this one. Uh, that, that's what uh, Psalm 49, which I already quoted, is so clearly about saying, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Praise is one of the main ways we get to use music. In my journey of praising God with music personally, my own music, um, I, I always loved music, but I, I didn't always love praising God, so I'd go to church with my family growing up, I'd get dragged there, and I was okay with the music, but it didn't move me, and I would be like, why are these old people dancing around and so excited about this music? It's not even dope. And then when I went home, I would listen to the stuff I really wanted to listen to. And here's the thing, I don't think that my problem was that I didn't like praise songs. I think my problem was I didn't care much about the object of their praise. I didn't know God. I didn't care much about God. Um, because in a sense, most of the music I was listening to and most of the music that we hear is praise music. Praising things with music is something very natural. Uh, so many of the songs you hear on the radio are praise songs. There was a song that was, on, that was big on hip-hop radio a few years ago. It was called Coco. And this is how the hook went. Uh, I'm in love with the Coco. I'm in love with the cocoa. 
I got it for the Lolo. What is it say next? Oh, yeah. I'm in love with the Coco. Over and over again. That's a praise song. Now, he's talking about cocaine, so that's a problem. But <laughs> it's a praise song. Right, that there's something that he's passionate about, that he's talking about building his life around, and he feels compelled to make a song about it. Right, yeah, whole communities of people built around kinds of music that celebrate particular things. A more wholesome example, uh, Stevie Wonder, Isn't She Lovely? This is a song where his daughter is born, and he's so blown away by how beautiful she is that he writes this song that's a classic, is, is his whole catalog, because he's the greatest, but isn't she lovely? He's blown away by her beauty, and he writes a song about it. It's very natural for us to uh, praise things and express our love for things with music. We, we're wired to celebrate with songs. Some of y'all might have just ate good at lunch, and sometimes you just eat something good and you just make up a song on the spot, like, man, this pizza is so good, and you just do that because we like to praise things that we love, and music, beauty of music, it allows us to praise beautiful things in beautiful ways. That's part of what's unique about it. There's a God in the heavens who's beautiful, there's creation of his that is beautiful, and music allows us to praise those beautiful things in beautiful ways, and especially to praise him who's a very definition of beauty. One of my favorite examples of this is in Exodus 15, uh, and if you've read Exodus, and you can turn there, if you read Exodus, this part in the book, um, I'm gonna read a big chunk so you, you can turn here. Uh, this point in the book of Exodus, Israel had been enslaved. God had just delivered them, right? Because uh, Pharaoh felt forced to let him go. And so they went, and then he changed his mind, and he's chasing them, and they're afraid. And of course, they come up to the Red Sea. Uh, they're, they're fearing. They're wondering, why did Moses uh, bring us out here? Foreshadowing of things to come. And as they stand in front of the sea, Pharaoh and his army coming up behind them, the Lord miraculously splits the sea in half. So there's a wall of sea on the right side and a wall of see on the left side and then there's just dry ground in the middle like a little street that the Lord had just made for them and so they walk through on dry ground looking at a massive wall of water on the left and a massive wall of water on the right can you imagine that right they walk through it and then of course the waves crash in on Pharaoh's army and, and the Lord has delivered them so after that miraculous uh, act of God, how does God's people respond? How, how do they respond to him? I'm going to read a big chunk of this. We see this in Exodus 15. I'm going to start at verse 1. God's word says this. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed glories. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He starts to describe the events in verse 4. He says, Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. Jumping to verse 11. He says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand 
the earth swallowed them. And he goes on and on and on. They go on and on with this song that they sing to the Lord after he delivered them. I think it's notable that this is the way that they choose to praise God after such an amazing act. They didn't stop and meditate. They didn't just talk it over. They, they, they didn't just shout out the same words. They didn't get together with their small group. They had a little concert and praise session. They began to sing a song to God together. It seems somehow unworthy of the greatness of this miracle. Just to simply say, God is good and stronger than his enemies, guys. Isn't that right? Yes, that's true. There's something about that that doesn't capture uh, the beauty of what, the, it seems almost trivial just to kind of remind each other with that, but it seems appropriate to burst out in song and to praise God in, in a way that I imagine was incredible. Israelites losing it, dancing, cheering, singing, a dude doing the worm over there. I mean, just celebrating God with everything that they had with a joy they'd never experienced before because their God had just shown up in power and he deserved praise. And the Lord had given music for that. So here we see something of the uniqueness of music in a way we can use it to praise God. There's something uh, different about singing in rhythm and with melody that's different than just saying words. Uh, songs are better at expressing our joy and our, our love. And uh, when the Israelites were delivered in such a glorious way, they needed something more than just spoken words to express that praise. One of the things is songs help us not to engage just with our mind, but also more with our emotions emotions as well. Now, this isn't to say other ways of, of, of praising God uh, don't engage our emotions at all, but music has some kind of unique access to your emotions. Not only that, but songs are, can be more soaring and grand. He didn't just say the Lord won this battle. He said the Lord is a man of war, right? It's beautiful language that they use. All right, so this isn't to say we can't praise God in other ways with spoken word or uh, simply praying, but this is another tool in our tool belt to praise God with, and God gave us music for that. I have a question for you. Um, what about you? So when, when you are uh, maybe singing songs with other Christians at a, at a conference, or maybe when you are in church on Sunday morning, do your eyes kind of glaze over? Or do you kind of get disinterested? You ever had those moments where you're in the middle of a song and you realize you haven't really even been paying attention to it? I know some of us uh, just kind of endure the, the portion of, of worship services where music happens, waiting for the, for the good stuff, for the, for the sermon to pop up. I want to ask you, can you imagine someone, after that it just happened at the Red Sea, everybody's celebrating, everybody's dancing and singing. Can you imagine that being just a dude over by himself in the corner, just like unfazed on his phone on Twitter or something? Can you imagine that? And what do you think they would say to him? Somebody would probably slap him to wake him up and like, bro, did you see what happened? Have you ever walked through dry ground in the middle of a sea? You better praise, you better do something, right? They, they would be confused. How could you, how could you be so uh, disinterested after God had just done something like that? Yet, we often find ourselves doing the same thing. Disinterested in praising God through song. When our eyes glaze over, Sometimes, And one of the reasons that happens is because we kind of lose our wonder and awe at who God is, right? And we're not really impacted by how incredible we sing these words over and over again. And it doesn't impact us that we're singing words about when God himself became a man and laid his life down for us. Uh, and we, we kind of get disinterested. Can you imagine one of the Israelites doing that during this time? 
There's so many times we seem to be in off God at 8.30 and we forget about him by 10.30. Or all just kind of fades away. Somebody may say, but that's different, Trip. Of course they would be losing their minds. The Lord had just done something incredible. God had done this incredible miracle on their behalf. They were doomed and he delivered them. He had just shown his love in dramatic fashion. Of course they were praising God. Well, then I'd ask you, has God not done anything miraculous on your behalf? Has God not delivered you from doom? Has God not shown his love to you in dramatic fashion? Reminded of Romans 5, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There has never been a greater act of miraculous loving deliverance in the history of mankind than when the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, laid down his life for sinners. There has never been a greater display of love. So at any moment when we find ourselves wondering, does God love me? I wish he would show he loved me. God showed his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're a Christian in here today, you always have reason to praise God for miraculous deliverance. Every Christian is living on the other side of the Red Sea, looking back at doom that God has delivered them from in miraculous fashion. And one of the things that this means is, no matter where else you are in your life, in, your time of, uh, in a time of suffering, or in a time of confusion, or in a time uh, where your money's run out, or where your marriage is rough, while those things remain true, you're also standing on the other side of the Red Sea. And you have reason to praise God for his goodness. And you have reason uh, for your suffering to be put into perspective. Um, and you have reason to know that God cares about it. We're always on the other side of the Red Sea. Music is one of the ways that God has given us to express and recapture that wonder. Sometimes we need to sing songs over and over again until we believe they're true. Um, you ever, again, been singing a song and realize halfway through that you don't believe what you're singing? That God doesn't seem good to you in that moment? God doesn't feel very close to you? Sometimes we need to keep singing until it's true. Uh, until we believe it. Another thing, it's, it's very good for the world around us to hear us sing praises to Jesus. Uh, our world is filled with songs and all kinds of ways to praise all kinds of stuff. Money, power, and sex are celebrated at every turn. It would be good for our world to hear us sing songs in praise of God. God who's supreme, even over those things like money and power and sex, it can be good things that are perverted, but there's a God who reigns over them all. Now, it's good for our world to hear us publicly, proudly singing the praises of our God. And I'll say this too. If you don't know Jesus, I, I want you to know this miraculous deliverance. I want you to experience this great love that would lead Jesus to lay his life down. You know, Jesus said there's no greater love than a man would lay his life down for his friend. And then he did it. Uh, Jesus died uh, in part so we can know him. Uh, and, and you can know him now. Uh, turning from your sins, trusting in him. He's a forgiving and loving savior. Christians are always on the other side of the Red Sea. We always have reason to praise. And music is an incredible way to do that. Um, I want to look at some other uses. That, 
because that's the biggest, I think, uh, example that we see in scripture of how music is used, that's the longest section. Um, I want to talk about the second way we can use music. Uh, we can use music to express pain and frustration. We can use music to praise and celebrate God and his works. Number two, we can use music to express pain and frustration. We know that not all songs are praise songs, right? Um, sometimes there are songs that express just certain feelings, feelings of joy, of course, but also feelings of pain or loss. And we know that there's some music that grips our emotions in a unique way, can even bring us to tears sometimes. And music can uniquely do that. Have you noticed that when you're watching a movie and a sad conversation happens, uh, this little violin starts playing, a little sad violin music, why do they do that? Because it communicates emotion, right? It, it tells you how you're supposed to feel. So that sometimes you don't, you're not even recognizing that you're hearing music. But you know how you're supposed to feel about the conversation. Or you're watching it and it's like, oh, he's about to break up with her. <laughs> because the music is, is telling you how you're supposed to feel in that moment. Um, there's a song on uh, one of my albums called Sweet Victory uh, where I tried to do this very thing. Where I tried to use music to express pain and frustration. I, I have a illness that uh, makes life difficult for me and I never feel well. And uh, I wanted to write a song that was honest about how that feels, to express that pain and that frustration in a way that honor God. And um, I'll, I'll tell you what the, how the first verse went. It said, uh, you see me limping. I know you see me limping. You can't tell on these CDs, but bro, I'm knee deep in it. I'm waiting in my weakness. He may be dependent. I be lying through my teeth to say I don't resent it. Even as I write this song, I'm close to tears. My body ain't been working right for seven years. So miss me with that, keep your chin up, try to smile. Brum 29, I should feel better by a mile. But keep all your anecdotes and cute quotes. I'll pass on cliches for true hope. He's too dope. Right, and my, my hope with that uh, was to draw people into to my experience, to express how I feel, that pain and that frustration. We see songs do this all the time. And, and people always come up to me and say, hey, thanks for that song. I've been in that exact place. Music can be used for that. And not just with Christians either. There's, there's a, a song that was uh, a few years ago. Uh, Rihanna and Kanye West had this song called Four or Five Seconds. Um, not a song you should listen to if you have anger issues. Here's what uh, Mr. West says on one of his. He says, woke up an optimist. The sun was shining, I'm positive. Then I heard you talking trash. Hold me back, I'm about to spaz. This was a song expressing frustration. He's like, I woke up feeling good, then I heard you run your mouth. Someone hold me back because I want to do violent things to you. That was a translation of that verse. <laughs> songs can be used to express pain and frustration. We all know that feeling too, like when you're at your boiling point and you're wondering if the fruits of the Spirit are gonna show themselves, right? We, we know what those moments are like. Music can be used to, to express those in, in a way that's unique. And what about in the Bible though? Is it okay in the Bible to express pain or grief or frustration? Uh, let's look at a couple examples. One quick one that I'll uh, bring up, Job 30, 31. Uh, Job says, my lyre, that's an instrument that's turned to mourning, my pipe to the voice of those who weep. Job is grieving the different trials that he's had using music. We know in biblical times, music was a big part of the, the grieving process, the funeral process. Music was a part of that that grief process. We have a song like Psalm 22 where David cries out to God about how he's forsaken and mocked and abandoned. Uh, 
David is saying to God of the universe, I'm forsaken and mocked and abandoned, which we may want to rebuke David for, yet that's the very song that our Lord Jesus picks up while he's on the cross, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Plenty of examples in Scripture. And in the Psalms, there are uh, more examples than I could point out. Sometimes it can be depressing if you're like, you wake up in the morning like, man, I just need a little pick-me-up from God's Word. I'm going to just go to the Psalms. I wish I was never born. Oh. <laughs> um, maybe not the best way if you just want to uh, get something happy to start your day. Uh, but here's the thing, when we read stuff like that, uh, it, I don't think it should be depressing to us. Uh, I think it should bring us comfort and joy and remind us uh, of the glory of our God because one reason it brings us comfort is because we know we don't read an oblivious dead Bible, right, that's uh, confused about what human life is really like. We're reading a real Bible that really speaks to us about what life is really like. Uh, sometimes people don't like Christians because they think we always pretend everything is okay, and a lot of us do. A lot of us could be standing in front of our home burning down and someone would say, how you doing? You'd be like, blessed. Right. Well, th there's a fear of being honest about difficulties in your life. Uh, but the Bible doesn't seem to do that. It, the Bible doesn't seem to think that it's wrong for Christians to acknowledge grief and suffering and trials. Uh, and we see it happen all throughout the Psalms. And if you think it's not okay to not be okay, then I don't think you've read the Bible very much. The Bible is full of honest expressions of pain and suffering and grief and depression. And one of the ways those uh, difficulties are expressed in the Bible is with music. But a question, of course, we're talking about using music to worship God. How does that work into the worship of God? And I'll say this, what we see in a lot of these Psalms where there's a lot of lament and expressing grief uh, is that it's brought up and expressed but in a way that doesn't condemn our God. An example I want to look at is Psalm 142. You can turn there, uh, or I can just read it out. Psalm 142. A masculine of David when he was in the cave of prayer. Verse 1. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge, no one cares for my life. I cry to you, O oh Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they're too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. And we can learn from the way that David prays, right? Because David is in a tough situation. He's fearing for his life. And he's airing his complaints to God. Now, I know the scripture calls us not to grumble and complain, but here David shows us the right way to voice our complaints. Now, he doesn't grumble against God like the Israelites in the wilderness and like we do so often. He doesn't complain in a way that puts God's character or judgment into question. He doesn't put God on trial with his complaints. He actually does the opposite. Because what we see in the psalm is that David affirms God's goodness, right? 
It's okay to air your complaints to God, but do it with full confidence in him. David is saying, everybody's trying to kill me. I look to my right, nobody cares. Look to my left, nobody cares. I have no refuge. And he's saying, there's nothing for me in this world. All I have is murderous people trying to kill me. You are my refuge. I don't have any way to stay, God. You're where I stay. I don't have any friends. You're my friend, right? That's the right way to air your complaints to God. Life is hard, and I know I have you. You're good in the midst of it. Uh, our uh, airing our complaints becomes sin when we accuse God of being unjust, either out loud or in our hearts. That's when it becomes sin. Now, being honest about where we are, that's not a sin. But when we do it in a way where it's accusatory towards God, that God must have been unjust to have let us go through this. God doesn't know what he's doing. Everything is out of control. That's when it becomes sin. And that's like the difference between me. Uh, if like my house is broken in and I call the cops and I ask them to come help me, well, that's fine. I mean, I'm telling them something bad happened. But if I call the cops and I blame them for it, like, why did y'all rob my house? That's a completely different situation. It's the difference between bringing up something difficult that's happened uh, and blaming someone for doing it or bringing up something difficult that's happened and saying you're the only one who can do something about this. I trust you as the deliverer, the one who can take care of these hard things. God calls us to come to him even with tough stuff. And so we can sing songs that express pain and frustration within our worship of God. And that can only happen if there's a God who knows, cares, and is good enough and powerful enough to do something about it. Uh, we, we always want to express this pain in the context of truth about our God. So here's the thing. I don't know if anybody in here is a singer or a songwriter or knows singers or songwriters, but I want to encourage this. You should feel fine with expressing real hurt and pain in your music. Even in writing songs for the church to sing. We need artists who are willing to write those songs. We need people who are gifted, who are willing to do that. Sometimes you'll, go, you'll walk into a church and the songs they sing on Sunday morning, when you hear them, you would think the fall never even happened. It is so happy. Like a, like a Lego movie, everything is awesome level happy songs. It's like this must have been written by Adam and Eve before the fall because there is no difficulty in that in those songs. Whereas the songbook that we have in the scriptures is full of expressions of pain and, and difficulty. We need music that acknowledges that life is really hard, but in the midst of it, God is really good. Right? That's how we want to use music to express pain and suffering. Not only that, there are a lot of people in our world who who don't know God, and they have no idea what to do with their suffering. The only thing they have is despair. The only thing they have is different kinds of destruction. Wouldn't it be great if we, the people who know God, can show people how to suffer well and how our God gives us grace to do it? It's a good thing to do that. So we can use music to praise and celebrate God and his works. We can use music to explain, uh, express pain and frustration. Number three, uh, we can use music to teach and encourage. Use music to teach and encourage. And that's to teach and encourage. And in the same way we think about discipling and our own following of Jesus and also helping other people to follow Jesus. We can use music to teach and encourage. Um, a lot of us have had the experience of maybe having a, a tough time in music, maybe bringing us comfort or consolation. There are some songs that can lift your spirits. For a lot of people, that may have been a Pharrell song, uh, I'm happy, clapping, you know what I'm saying? For the, but after they heard it a thousand times, then it just made them sad when they heard it. But there are songs that can lift your spirits, can give you consolation, can encourage you, and they can even teach you. Right? We learn things when we listen to music as well. 
Um, in the New Testament, uh, when we read about uh, God's people gathering together, there are not a lot of things that we're commanded to do when we gather. There's not a whole lot of stuff we're commanded to do. The stuff we are commanded to do is the stuff that probably you see in uh, your churches on Sunday morning. The word being preached, the word being read, uh, songs being sung, uh, Lord's Supper, baptism, uh, collecting uh, money, offering, that kind of stuff. These are some of the things the scripture is mentioning and commanding for us to do on Sunday morning. When the, when the New Testament talks about music and corporate worship, the way it mainly talks about it is how we use it for others. So I'm going to read you a few examples. Ephesians 5, uh, 18. It says, do not, get do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Has that being filled show up? 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. A couple implications of those passages. One of them is you can be encouraged and taught by music. Music can encourage you, remind you of the truth, teach you the truth for the first time. Also, I'm going to assist in our church who was having a tough time, wrestling with depression, exhausted from a hard week, and felt like the uh, depression cloud that was over her head and the exhaustion it took for her to do anything, she literally could not bring her eyes to move across the page and study God's Word. But Sunday mornings had been an incredible blessing to her. Because even though she felt like she didn't even have the energy or the strength or the joy to praise God, she got to be in a room with hundreds of people who were praising God through song. She got to look around and say, there's a lot of other people who live in this crazy, difficult, same world that I live in and are praising the same God. So that even as I have doubts about his goodness, here are hundreds of testimonies to his goodness. Here is a united community singing about God's grace to us and that encouraged her, that reminded her of God's goodness. I wonder if you ever, when you are uh, uh, singing songs in, in church, I wonder if you ever have any thought of other people. Sometimes we think when we show up on Sunday morning, the songs, that's just like a, I just happen to be singing to Jesus and other people happen to be around me. I, the other people in this room, but this is about me and Jesus, so I only close my eyes, all my words are only to Jesus. In the New Testament, uh, it seems to be talking about both singing to God, making melody in our hearts to God, and to one another. You know, Scripture commands you to sing songs to one another when you gather with God's people. So when we come on Sunday morning and act like this is just a personal thing and other people happen to be here in my personal worship service, we're ignoring half of what God is calling us to do with music on Sunday morning, to encourage one another. That also means you should listen to the voices of other people. Right? Not only should you be thinking about others as you sing, you should be wanting to hear from others as you sing too. Now some of y'all are thinking, there's some people who are not gifted at singing, I don't want them to sing to me. <laughs> you go to a bigger church, the more people are hard it is to hear individual voices, all right? It's all right. No, but God has called us to do that as a means of encouraging one another. And there's some songs, you know, think about a song like, uh, It Is Well. Right, think about the power of hearing hundreds of people sing. Songs like that that point to life being really hard, everything else being rocky, the waves up and down, but it is well with my soul. Every time we get to the last verse on it is well at our church, 
I start crying because I'm in hundreds of people sing these incredible words and I'm thinking about Jesus coming back and I'm standing before him and even so it is well with my soul. It is good for me to sing that. It's good for me to hear other people sing that. And again, there are times I show up and I realize I don't believe that with all of my heart and singing it over and over again reminds me. Or we need to use music to teach and encourage. Another implication of that, though, is you can also be led astray by music. So just a quick encouragement, be careful what you listen to, right? Music is powerful, right? So we want to think carefully about how we listen to music. We can learn bad things from music. Music can encourage bad things in us. Uh, music can shape our worldviews, what we love. So I want to encourage you to know yourself well enough to know uh, when there's something that you're consuming that, that draws you away from Jesus instead of towards him. Also, you can encourage others with music. If there's some good music that you run across, there's like a, a rapper from Atlanta who's also a pastor and is speaking here at this particular conference. I mean, not anyone that's specific, but somebody like that. You can point other people to good music that's encouraged you. Right? Um, there's a song that I was listening to about Jesus interceding for us. Uh, and it had been such an encouragement to me, I passed it on to a friend who was going through a difficult time. Music can encourage, share it, and encourage others with it. Another thing I'd like to encourage you to do is to join a church so that you can obey this command. This is a command we cannot obey by ourselves. To sing songs to one another. I want to encourage you to put yourself in a position where you can yeah, where you can obey what Scripture's called us to in the context of a community. Um, quick word to, to worship pastors or pastors who are choosing songs. Real quick, if music is used to be teaching and encourage God's people, choose the songs carefully. Choose stuff that's teaching good stuff. Don't just think about a set that sounds good together. That's fine. But if music is to teach, if, if God has commanded God's people to be indwelled with the word of Jesus and to sing songs impacted by that word of Jesus, don't pick songs that are just like, you the bomb God, you the, you the bomb God. That's not enough. We need a little more than that. I want to encourage you to choose songs carefully that have good words that provoke praise in people. The truth you want your church to soak in. That's the other thing. People may forget your sermon. Uh, they remember songs a lot easier. Right, so you want to pick the kind of songs that you want your congregation to remember throughout the week. Uh, there are also now some songs that, um, on the other end, maybe have a little bit too much content. So there's You to You to Bomb God, then there's like Jonathan Edwards' sermons to music. That's a little much. So you want to choose songs that have good words and that have good melodies as well and that are actually good sounding songs, not too dense people. And all of that is subjective too. I mean, that, that feels different from person to person depending on what they're used to. But you want to keep in mind, you want songs that not only have good content, but are also songs that have good melodies and that are digestible in song form. Um, you don't want to try to turn Sunday morning into a concert, but you also don't want to turn the music into just a sermon either. It has a unique role. To play. Um, man, I have a lot more I want to say there that I shouldn't because I don't have uh, much time left. I, I will say this, uh, families, I'd encourage you to use music in your home, right? So, um, you know, we'll, we'll read a book with uh, our kids at night, and that's one of the ways we teach them about Jesus and, and the Bible, and they'll ask good questions sometimes, like, man, why did, why did they do that to Jesus? And I get to talk about sin, and then sometimes we'll be like, did Jesus know dinosaurs? So it's a give or take. Um, <laughs> Another good thing that you can do is sing songs, right? My kids know firmly that Jesus loves them because we sang that song every night for a while. 
Right? It's good to use music in your home, even if you can't sing that well. It's okay, your kids don't know the difference. And if your kids are older, they do, but they'll love you anyway, it's good. <laughs> music is a good thing to use even in our family worship. It can sometimes go where preaching in books can't. And this is the last thing I'll say, last one, uh, use music for your own joy. It's a gift from God that he's given you to enjoy. And I think it's a good thing that our culture and our world has grabbed a hold of music the way it has because it is something that should bring us joy. And one of the things, in, in Scripture often joy is so connected to music that there are parts in the prophets where the singing stopping is a sign of destruction. Music is so connected to joy that when singing stops, it's a sign of destruction. One example, Lamentations 5, 14, the old men have left the city gate. The young men have left their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. Hey, music is something that we've been given to enjoy and it's connected to our joy. James 1, every good thing, every perfect gift is coming down from the Father of lights. It's a gift from God. 1 Timothy 5, it talks about people not enjoying things that have been given to us in God to be enjoyed and are made holy by, basically by the way that we receive them, with the word of God and prayer. I want to encourage you to receive music in a way that honors God. There's some music that doesn't even have any words. Uh, I can be tempted to think, man, Miles Davis is a beast. Man, Miles Davis is, a, is amazing as I enjoy particular music. Now, one of the ways I keep from not glorifying God, even in my enjoyment of, of people's music, it's not, that, you know, Miles Davis, I mean, he could have been thinking about Jesus while he was playing saxophone, I doubt it. Um, uh, but, but here's what I'll say. Um, uh, there's a way to receive things uh, that recognizes somebody's skill, uh, but that also recognizes the God who gave them that skill. I'm blown away by creativity. I'm even more blown away by the creator who created creativity. And I'm reminded that the creativity that he's given us was given to us as a way to reflect and show off his. So that everything that I see in all of creation, I want to receive with the kind of grateful heart that's aware of God's uh, sovereignty behind it and his power and his grace that he's given us. So I want to encourage you. Uh, if you ignore music in your life as a disciple of Jesus, you'll be accepting unfaithfulness because it has a very real role to play. I want to encourage you, use music to praise and celebrate God and his works. Use music to express pain and frustration. Use music to teach and encourage. Use music for your joy. Music will be a big part of your life. It's very powerful. I want to encourage you to use it well. And one of the ways we know that music is a gift from God and a precious gift from God is that when we look in Revelation, it's clear we'll be singing in heaven. Those will be glorious times and we get to enjoy that gift of music and it'll be in the service of the one who created it and the one that it was created for. Amen. 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 Let me pray.